Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Zach Kroll Sports Podcast. Today is Tuesday. It is October 5th and we have an absolutely loaded day in the sports calendar. On the podcast today, we have so many things to talk about. Week number four in the NFL is over and done with. And we're going to talk about every game between the Rams and the Cardinals. The Arizona out here making a statement to start off uh, week four that is the big winner, in my opinion, the Arizona Cardinals. I don't think a lot of people really expected them to just blow out the Rams. We'll get to the Chargers and their performance on Monday Night Football getting the win. Dallas, we'll get to every other game across the league uh, to start off today's show. And I can't wait to talk some football with you guys. Before I start, you guys want to get in contact with me, the Instagram, Z-A-C underscore K-R-U-L-L. Twitter, Z-K-R-U-L-L-3. YouTube, Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y-K-R-U-L-L. All segments from this show are uploaded directly to the YouTube channel. Also, the MLB playoffs getting started up tonight. Yankees, Red Sox in the wild card game. I can't wait. Wish luck to all of my Yankee fan friends in New York. Should be a great atmosphere there in Fenway Park. Without further ado, it's time to talk some football here on the Zach Curl Sports Podcast. Let's do it. If you have listened to this show at all over the last couple of years when we've been talking and covering the NFL on Mondays, I'm usually consistent starting off the show with my 10 takeaways of the week segment. But after some uh, feedback from you guys, you guys want me to talk about every team in every game, and I totally understand it. Part of what makes the NFL so good is the ability to talk and have an opinion about every game that's going on, and that's what I'm going to be doing today. Take a couple minutes and give you guys my feedback from all around the league, all 16 games after a crazy schedule in week four. So many things to talk about, so many things to get into starting off today's episode of the Zach Curl Sports Podcast, and it's time to go around the league and recap each and every one of the 16 games that went on during week number four. A great week four, to say the least. So without further ado, boys, hit the music. Let's recap week four of the NFL. Game number one, Thursday night football. Bengals 24, Jaguars 21. The Jaguars actually got off to a good start in this game. They went into this game as the desperate team at 0-3. However, I will say, even though they were up 14-0 and Trevor Lawrence for the first time so far this season actually looked pretty good, um, he was making some nice throws. The Jaguars are just a team that right now you really cannot trust. And even the people that were already skeptical of Urban Meyer when he was brought in as the head coach of the Jaguars couldn't have even expected it to be this badly this quickly. Michael Silver dropped a report on Twitter earlier this morning saying that Urban is likely to be a one-and-done, has already lost control of the locker room, and given his history, I just don't expect Urban Meyer to be a good head coach. I think he is being wasted in the NFL. He belongs in college. I don't really think him getting caught with the women next to him at the bar is the biggest deal. Uh, I don't really care about how good of a husband he is. And if your team was 0-4, you would be wanting to get drunk pretty often as well. Uh, I just don't think Urban Meyer is caught is cut to be 
an NFL head coach at this level. He belongs in college, and props to Joe Burrow. I think he belongs to be in the conversation with guys like Herbert and Mahomes and Jackson and Josh Allen in terms of who is the best young quarterback in the NFL. He is a playmaker. Watch out for Joe Burrow. He is good enough to win the Bengals games by himself. And by the way, the Bengals are 3-1. Just watch out. Let's go to the 1 o'clock games. Jets 27, Titans 24. Props to Zach Wilson and the Jets. I totally understand that the Titans' defense is not good, and they were missing Julio Jones and A.J. Brown in this game. However, the Jets' offense, even though they were facing three really good defenses throughout the first three games of the season, the Jets' offense really came to play, and that's all I wanted to see from the Jets in this game. You had a much better matchup against Tennessee at home in a much winnable in a much more winnable game compared to the first three weeks of the season, and the Jets showed up. They played competitive football. Zach Wilson was out here dropping a couple dimes to Corey Davis, Keelan Cole, uh, Jamison Crowder being back is a big help, and it's a bad loss for Tennessee, I get it, but the Jets, a team that has really struggled throughout the last couple years trying to establish a new culture with Robert Sala, maybe they've just found themselves a quarterback, I like how their defense was able to get to Ryan Tannehill in this game, force pressure, Derrick Henry still went for 150 yards, but they did enough to win this game in overtime, I think the AFC South is the worst division in football. We'll get to the Colts in a little bit. I don't think you should count them out just yet. Good win for the Jets. Moving on, Philly. They lose to Kansas City at home, 30-42. to Kansas City wins. That's the final score. And look, Kansas City's defense still cannot stop anyone. It's a concern going forward. And we'll see if they could do anything on the defensive side of the ball on Sunday Night Football against the Buffalo Bills coming up. However, there is just a certain winning factor that comes to Kansas City. All they do is win games. They find a way to win, especially when they're not turning the ball over. And I totally understand. During the games against Baltimore and against the Chargers, they lost. But I think what lost in those games was just the brutal turnover at the worst time. They avoided that on Sunday and really dominated the Eagles. Right now, I still think Kansas City is the best team in the AFC as long as Mahomes Kelsey and Hill are healthy, and Andy Reid is the head coach. Tyreek went off in those in this game. Those guys are just that hard to stop. Dallas, 36. Carolina, 28. We're going to get into this game fully in a later segment of today's show, but I was just so impressed with the physicality the Dallas Cowboys showed. Trevon Diggs, Micah Parsons, these guys are looking like blue-chip players, and if you want to improve as quick as possible... The best way to do it is through the draft and hitting home runs. I still don't believe in Mike McCarthy, but the natural talent that this Cowboy team has, it may not even matter that Mike McCarthy's a bad coach and doesn't know how to manage the clock. Kellen Moore knows what he's doing in terms of a play caller. I like how Dallas looked at Carolina in this game and said, these guys don't have Christian McCaffrey. This is a game that we still have to win, and that's exactly what they did. Dallas looks like one of the best teams in the NFC and a team that might be poised for a big run. We're going to get into them more specifically and deeper later in today's show. The next game, the Giants earned their first win of the season to go to 1-3 in overtime in New Orleans. And with the Giants, it's funny because 
I roasted them on this show last week after they lost to the Atlanta Falcons. Their fans were out here booing John Mara on Elon Manning Day when they were honoring their Hall of Fame quarterback. And the reason why the start of the Giants season has been so frustrating is because they've been consistently playing good enough football to lose, right? They should have won that game against Washington. They were winning throughout. And the crazy thing is, going into the season, one of the biggest keys for the Giants was Daniel Jones and how well he'd be. Throughout the first three games, he didn't play that badly. The Giants still were just finding ways to shoot themselves in the foot and give them no legitimate chance to win football games. They couldn't step on the gas and close games out. And in this game, the opposite happened. The Giants faced a deficit. If you're in the Saints, this is a game you have to win. I'm not too high on them right now. The fact that they beat New England on the road, that was a nice win going on the road, beating a Belichick coach team. But at the same time, I just don't think New England is very good. The Saints just happened to be the better team that day. And you can't blow this lead at home to the Giants. I think this could be a transition year for New Orleans. I don't know what Sean Payton was doing, throwing the ball with Taysom Hill. That ultimately could have been what cost the Saints that interception. And I just think that the New York Giants found a way to win, and they deserve credit. They go to Dallas this week. If they have any chance to salvage their season, that is a game the New York Giants have to have. But a good job by Big Blue and really both New York teams finding a way to win in overtime this week. The Browns 14. The Vikings 7. I'll say this. It was a boring game. I totally understand that. Especially in a game between these two offenses, you definitely would have thought more points would have been scored. However, Cleveland's defense is the real deal. That was one of the better games they played in a while. And I think the familiarity of game planning for Kirk Cousins, a guy who Kevin Stefanski had coached as the offensive coordinator in Minnesota before he got to Cleveland, that obviously helped. But look, The Browns' defense over the past year plus, they've always had the names, right? Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward. But this year, they have much more depth. They're getting healthier with guys like Greedy Williams and Grant Delpit. They also bring in Troy Hill and Jim Johnson from the Rams. The Browns' defense is one of the more improved units in the league. Here's the issue. Baker Mayfield was not good in this game. And I think 1-53... to Cleveland has one of the most talented and complete rosters in the NFL. Their offensive line is legitimately good. They can run the ball. Their defense is good. However, I just worry about their quarterback. And Baker Mayfield isn't bad. He doesn't screw up games. But with this surrounding class in in Cleveland around you, it shouldn't be that hard for you not to screw up games. And I just think Cleveland, if they want to win a Super Bowl, which with this roster is possible, they're going to need their quarterback to be a little bit more of a playmaker. And in this game against Minnesota, a Vikings defense who is very hit or miss, I get it. But Seattle was able to put up points against them in the first half. Cleveland won this game because of their defense. They deserve credit for that. I just think if their quarterback doesn't play well, or better soon enough, there's just an obvious ceiling on this Brown team. And the Vikings, that's a bad offensive performance at home in the Dome. Dalvin Cook was playing. You have to do better. Vikings fall to 1-3. and three. I'm concerned about them. You just never really know what you're going to get from them. And it's a shame because they easily could be 3-1. and one. I think Mike Zimmer could be on the hot seat uh, by the end of the season, and time will tell there. Next 1 o'clock game, Chicago 24, Detroit 14. 
Look, the Lions deserve credit for how hard they've played, at least to start off this season. They were competitive with Green Bay in the first half. Should have beaten the Ravens if Tucker doesn't make that crazy 66-yard field goal. And then in week one against San Francisco, they were getting beaten pretty good early, but found a way to come back and at least make that game competitive in the end. I expected the Bears to win this one. Um, Justin Fields was not as bad as he played in that week three game against Cleveland. That was an embarrassing effort from the Bears and Matt Nagy. And it's frustrating because the Bears defense actually impressed me in the beginning of that game. They were making plays. They were frustrating Baker Mayfield. The game plan from Matt Nagy, though, was that bad that Chicago, especially on the offensive side of the ball, didn't have a shot. But in this game against Detroit, Justin Fields looked legit. He made a couple really nice throws, and the game plan was much better. Chicago's offensive line is less than ideal. I totally understand that. And when you put Jason Peters on Miles Garrett one-on-one, that's usually not going to work out for you if you're a fan of the Bears. But in this game against Detroit, a much softer defense, they made Justin Fields in a position to make all of the easy throws that he possibly can. And I think he showed up in this game. It's going to take time, but this kid has all the physical tools. He has a big arm. He, he's fast. You hope David Montgomery's okay. He's one of the more underrated running backs in the NFL. Shout out to the Bears, 24-14. The Lions are just in a transition here with Jared Goff. I don't think we could expect anything from them anytime soon. Football purgatory in Detroit. Speaking of football purgatory, the Bills 40, Texans 0. I mean, the Texans, they were competitive to start this season in their first couple games, winning week one against Jacksonville, but this game wasn't even close. And finally, all of a sudden, the Buffalo Bills look like they might just be the team we all expected them to be in the preseason. I totally understand. They still have a lot to prove, and I could never truly take them seriously as the team to beat in the AFC until they could slay the dragon of the Kansas City Chiefs. But if you're a fan of the Buffalo Bills, here's the good news. You're going to have a huge opportunity this week on the road, Sunday Night Football, Bills at Chiefs. That is going to be a big game, and the winner might just be considered the favorite in the AFC. But Buffalo left nothing on the table here. They beat Houston 40 to nothing. Buffalo's defense has been one of the more surprising stories of the season. Last year, they were below average, and Buffalo was having to win games on the back of their quarterback, and they didn't have a running game either. That's one consistent thing about this year. They haven't been running the ball great, but their defense is playing great as well. And the Buffalo Bills could be a team that if their defense could just make one or two stops, frustrate Kansas City, based on the way the Chiefs defense has been playing as of late, I don't think Buffalo's ever going to have a better chance to beat Kansas City than this week. They have to take advantage of it. Good job avoiding the letdown in this spot against the Houston Texan team that is far, far away. I feel for Davis Mills. He's just not ready to play in an NFL game right now. Indianapolis 27, Miami 17, and look, I totally understand Tua Tagovailoa still has a lot to prove as an NFL pro. Who knows at this point if he even is going to be the future of the Miami Dolphins at quarterback with the Deshaun Watson rumors already starting to swirl. But Jacoby Brissett couldn't get the job done in this game against his former team. He made a couple mistakes when Miami had opportunities to get back in this game. Miami was leading to start and the Dolphins have been one of the more disappointing teams in the NFL so far this season, starting with that week two beatdown they took on the hands of the Buffalo Bills. And let's be honest, Miami's lucky to be one in three if Damian Harris doesn't fumble that football in week one against the New England Patriots. 
they easily could have been 0-4 after this loss to the Colts. And look, I'm not calling the Colts for dead. Frank Reich, Carson Wentz, Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, that defense, they could win a bad AFC South. They can. Tennessee just lost to the Jets. That is a team and a division where anything can happen. Indianapolis certainly has their flaws. I get it. It's hard to trust their starting quarterback to stay healthy, but he did enough in this game to give the Colts the win in a spot they needed it. Going from 1-3 compared to 0-4 in this AFC South would have been tough, even with Tennessee losing. Indianapolis uh, catches a game of ground on Tennessee that's big for them. Washington, in the final 1 o'clock game we'll go over, beats Atlanta by a final score of 34 to 30. Good win for Washington. There were plenty of times throughout this game, including on that BS Chase Young, very soft roughing the passer call, where I was wondering to myself, what are we doing here? Is this Washington team just unlucky? And are they just going to go 6-12 and 12 this year, or 6-11, and 11, and not really have much to play for? I like Taylor Heineke, and he never dies, and he somehow, way found a way to put Washington on his back and win them this game against the Atlanta Falcons. Matt Ryan was fine in this game. Washington's defense, which a lot of people expected to be really good going into this season, has a lot to prove still. They are not playing good football right now, and they have to be better if they want any chance to win the NFC East. And it's a shame because their quarterback, I think, isn't terrible. You could win games with a good defense and Heineke, but giving up 30 points, I get it's in a dome. I get the Falcons' offense is still decent. It's a good win, but Washington is a team that even with a record of 2-2 two and two in an NFC East that isn't great, they're going to have to show me more if they want to be taken seriously. 4 o'clock game, Seattle 28, San Francisco 21. I think there is something a little bit off about Kyle Shanahan and this San Francisco 49er team. Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't great in the first half. He gets hurt. Trey Lance comes in. He wasn't great as well. I'll be curious to see what he looks like next week in Arizona, assuming he starts with a full game plan and a full week being used to build that game plan around him. But Seattle just made all the plays in this game when they needed to. They've been a team that so far this season has started off pretty slow, but Russell Wilson balled out. Shane Waldron, their new offensive coordinator, I think is a big improvement over Brian Schottenheimer and their prior offensive scheme. It's a much more modern offense. And Russell Wilson in September, there were a few better, huge Thursday night game in the NFC West coming up this week with uh, the Rams and the Seahawks. Speaking of the Rams, this is another game we're going to get into a little bit later in the show. Arizona beats the Rams 37-20. to And I was just so impressed with from... The start to the finish of this game, Arizona just kicked the Rams' ass. They punched them in the mouth, and the Rams weren't able to fight back. And it was impressive because the Rams in Week 3, they beat up Tampa Bay good. I think there were very few teams in the NFL that could have went into SoFi Stadium in Week 3 and beat the Rams. The intensity for them in that game was just off the charts, facing the defending Super Bowl champion Buccaneers. But ultimately... It was a little bit of a letdown in week four, and Arizona took advantage of the Rams not really looking good to start off this game, and Kyler was just slinging the ball all over the field. He was making all of the throws, and the Cardinals right now, based on how they've played in the first four weeks, should be in the conversation of the best team in the NFL. I really didn't expect this to happen. I'm not going to lie. 
This was just an ass-kicking. And Arizona, they struggled with Jacksonville in Week 3. They easily could have lost to the Minnesota Vikings in Week 2. And for them to not only win this game, but to just dominate it from start to finish, that's a great sign if you're a Cardinal fan going forward. If you've listened to me on this show, you will know that I've had my doubts about Cliff Kingsbury as an NFL head coach, but he really had his team ready to play in this one against the Rams. We're going to get into this one uh, later in today's show. Another 4 o'clock game, Packers 27, Steelers 17. It's clear, Ben Roethlisberger's just done. And the Steelers really have no one to blame but themselves because it was clear to me last year, even though when this team started 11-0, Ben Roethlisberger wasn't the primary reason why. And he just looked shot. And he would just do many things throughout a game that would really make you question yourself. Like, what are we doing here? Is this good enough to be... A starting quarterback for a winning team, nonetheless a team that isn't winning games right now. Like, is Ben Roethlisberger one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the NFL? I think the answer is a clear no. The Steelers' defense is good, and I understand the refs didn't help them at all in this game, but they never really had a chance because the Packers were the better team, the more dynamic offense that could just make all of the plays. And Aaron Rodgers, all of a sudden, after that brutal Week 1 game, starting off 0-1, blowed out by the Saints, The Packers have been looking good, winning three games in a row. That Sunday night game against San Francisco, the fact they were able to close that out. Maybe the Packers are a team that after everyone gave up on them during week one, we saw what happened last year. And we saw that Matt LaFleur over the last two years has been able to win regular season games. The Packers are definitely a team to watch. I think in the NFC right now, you have the Cardinals, the Rams, the Packers, the Cowboys, the Bucks. Those five teams are the class of the NFC right now. And we'll see if throughout the season, anyone will be able to change or switch places on that hierarchy. But the NFC is a little top heavy right now. Um, Good win by Green Bay in a league where a lot of people wrote them off and are going to jump to Arizona on their bandwagon, jump to the Rams on their bandwagon. Green Bay's defense has been impressive the last two weeks, and now his unit I was super skeptical on going into the season as well. I think we should watch out for the Packers. Final game of the 4 o'clock slate, Baltimore 23, Denver 7. And look, I know Denver was super banged up going into this game. Bradley Chubb, he didn't play. They also lost uh, Teddy Bridgewater, so Drew Locke had to play. But honestly, I didn't think it mattered. The Ravens were just the better team, and this was a big game for Denver. After starting off the season 3-0, there were a lot of people getting on their bandwagon, but the three teams they played started off the season with a combined record of 0-9. And Baltimore barely beat Detroit on a Justin Tucker 66-yard field goal. But the Ravens, they came to play in this one regarding the whole Fangio-Harbaugh thing at the end. Basically, my opinion is, if you have a problem with Baltimore running a play there to try to get to 100 yards, you should have just stopped them throughout the game. It's an impressive feat by the Ravens, always rushing for 100 yards. We knew they did something similar in terms of crazy streaks in the preseason, winning how many preseason games in a row was it, 16-17? The Ravens are one of the best organizations in the NFL. They are a consistent winner. And Denver... Even though I like Teddy Bridgewater, he's played all right throughout his first couple games as a Bronco. I think having that limitation at the quarterback position in a game like this where you were a little bit shorthanded and you just needed your quarterback to just flat out go out there and make plays, that's why I'm a little bit concerned about Denver going forward. They are 3-1. Their schedule isn't terrible going forward. 
but they were just outclassed in this game. It never really felt close. Sunday Night Football, Buccaneers 19, Patriots 17. Good win from Tom Brady and company going out there to Foxborough in an emotional game, a game that was much closer than many people expected. Um, Look, I don't know what Bill Belichick was doing going for the win, attempting a 55-yard field goal with Nick Folk in the rain on a 4th and 3. It wasn't a 4th and 10, and his kicker wasn't 100%. That just tells me that even though Mac Jones played well, he played all right. Even though Chris Collinsworth was making it look like he was playing like Patrick Mahomes, he played all right. He completed however many it was, 19 consecutive passes. But Bill Belichick, on the biggest play, on the biggest moment of the game, couldn't trust his quarterback. And I'm out on New England. They're not a playoff team, in my opinion. Their defense is good, but their offense is just too limited. There's a ceiling on it already. And the Buccaneers, an offense who we expected to go out there and ball out in this game, they were contained, and still Tom Brady did just enough to win. Just because I think on the offensive side of the ball, Tampa Bay, significantly better than New England. The Patriots aren't a team that's built to take advantage of Tampa Bay's mistakes and their banged-up secondary, which I think could be a concern going forward. I think the Buccaneers' defense as a whole... Needs to play a little bit better, especially against the elite teams. But Tampa Bay finds a way to get the win. Tom Brady in Foxborough, great scene. Then Monday Night Football, finally. Chargers 28, Raiders 14. We're going to get into the Los Angeles Chargers a little bit later in the show. Talking about the ascendance of Justin Herbert and just how impressive he has been throughout his first year plus in the NFL. The Raiders didn't necessarily come ready to play. You wonder if the weather delay... Uh, with lightning in the area, had anything to do with that. But really, the Chargers looked like the better team. The Raiders had that big run in the second half, and I think the Chargers, what's going to make them a great team is when they finally learn that tough ability to be able to close out games. But they're one of the most talented teams in the NFL, and they could play with many teams in this league going forward between Eckler, Slater, Herbert, Allen, Williams, Bosa, Derwin James. There's so much top-end talent on this Charger team. They deserve credit for playing and getting a victory in a pseudo-road game. Even though it was at home, that stadium was a crazy scene being filled with Raiders fans. But that is my rundown around the NFL week four. Love the music on this segment of the show. Love going around the league with you guys. That was week four in the NFL. A common theme that you will notice on today's episode of the Zach Curl Sports Podcast is even though it's only week four and we're going to be entering week five of the NFL season, I had a lot of predictions on each team going into the season. And part of what makes the NFL the best sport, in my opinion, is that you could have your opinions based on teams and what they have done in prior years and the history of the head coach. But all of a sudden, you're watching the game on TV And especially when things don't go the way you're expecting, like what happened Sunday at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles when the Rams and the Cardinals played and the Rams were coming off, in my opinion, the most impressive football game that we have seen a team play so far this season. The Buccaneers are the defending Super Bowl champions and the Rams just went at them. I really don't think that we've seen a team so far this season play as complete of a game as the Los Angeles Rams played on Sunday. And going in, 
to this one against Arizona, they were 3-0, and and most people, including myself, did label the Los Angeles Rams as the best team in the NFL. Matthew Stafford, a huge improvement over Jared Goff, really expanding the Sean McVay offense. So the Rams, they, going into this game, had people in excited, and a, a, a lot of people considered them to be one of the best teams in the NFL. The Arizona Cardinals, on the other hand, this is an interesting team because Arizona... If you were to just watch their highlights so far this season, you would literally think they were the best, most exciting team in the NFL. And I'll admit, Kyler Murray is an absolute stud. He's legit. He is in that conversation, in my opinion, of the best young quarterback in the NFL. I think we could all agree, as of right now, based on everything that he's accomplished in the postseason, Mahomes is number one. But Justin Herbert, who we're going to get to a little bit later in today's show— Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. I would even consider Joe Burrow to be uh, not too far off from that conversation. Kyler Murray is an elite quarterback. We've seen flashes of some of the things that he's been able to do so far this season. But throughout four games, he has played probably the best, most complete four games any quarterback in the NFL has played so far this season. And it's frustrating because last year for Arizona, they actually started off the season really well. I don't think they have popped the same way they did this season because right now you're watching Arizona, especially after what they were able to do on Sunday to the Los Angeles Rams. And you're seriously asking yourself after four weeks, is Arizona all of a sudden the best team in football? And you look at this roster, right? You have Kyler Murray, you have a couple good running backs in Chase Edmonds and James Conner. DeAndre Hopkins hasn't even gotten going yet. He looks a little banged up, and that's the scary thing for Arizona. They bring in A.J. Green, who I'm not going to lie, looked washed over the last couple years in Cincinnati, but he looks rejuvenated. He's making plays. Christian Kirk, Rondell Moore, they're getting Max Williams involved. The Arizona Cardinals offense is hitting on all cylinders. I also believe the addition of Rodney Hudson, a pro's pro at center, anchoring that Arizona Cardinal offensive line he has made a big difference but overall I was impressed with the physicality the Arizona Cardinals were able to show in this game against the Rams part of the reason why going into the season I was a little down on the Arizona Cardinals was because we all know right the NFC West is such a tough division we all labeled it to be the best division in the NFL and throughout the first three weeks of the season before this game was played the Rams lived up to the hype the 49ers are a team that is actually going to go to the desert next week to play Arizona. It's still unknown who is going to be under center for San Fran right now, but I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of worried about the 49ers. I'm not getting some great vibes out of Kyle Shanahan and the way that team is feeling right now after they really couldn't do anything offensively against a Seattle defense that is supposed to be super vulnerable. Russell Wilson just took over that game. And Arizona, throughout the first four games of the season, have shown that even though their offense is really good, they can win games in multiple ways. Their defense has been really good. And last year, their defense started off the season great. Chandler Jones got hurt, and they weren't really able to recover. And their offense was a little bit inconsistent, especially in the second half of the season 
after Kyler Murray got hurt, he still played, but he clearly wasn't himself. The Cardinals fell apart. They they lost back-to-back games to a 49er team that was being led by C.J. Beathard and a Rams team that had John Wofford at quarterback. And Kyler just clearly wasn't himself. And the defense wasn't healthy without Chandler Jones. But this year, with the additions of J.J. Watt and rookie Xavier Collins, Byron Murphy is legitimately turning into one of the best corners in the NFL. His pick six changed the game against Jacksonville. And here's the crazy thing for Arizona, right? Even though they deserved credit for being 3-0 and they looked really good week one, absolutely dominating the Tennessee Titans, there was never really a second in that game in Nashville that you even considered Arizona would lose. But the Cardinals in week two... They should have lost to the Vikings. The difference in that game was their kicker, Matt Prater, was able to hit a 62-yard field goal. And the Vikings kicker, Greg Joseph, when he was given a chance to win the game with a 37-yard kick, he couldn't come through. And Arizona was really struggling with the Jacksonville Jaguar team that we could all agree at this point isn't very good. And that game turned quickly on the Byron Murphy pick six, not going to lie, before then, when Cliff Kingsbury, a guy who, to be honest with you, was another reason why I was a little bit skeptical on Arizona going into the season, like, he has never won a big game in his life before Sunday. I understand Arizona beat Seattle on a Sunday night game last year, but that was what, week five? And what did they end up doing after that win? Nothing. Now, after this win, there's some realistic expectations with the Arizona Cardinals as a team that could be the best team in the NFL and a team at minimum should win a playoff game or two. And I'm not going to lie. I'm not only saying this after what they did to the Los An- uh what t- they did to the Los Angeles Rams, but I'm looking at this division. I'm looking at San Francisco. They are just inconsistent sometimes. And Jimmy Garoppolo, I just don't think is the answer at starting quarterback. He won them the first two games against teams that San Francisco was consistently better than in Philadelphia, in Detroit. Week three, he looked like he had won the game for San Francisco, but one team had Aaron Rodgers, a bad man at quarterback that could make plays. And Jimmy Garoppolo, let's face it, he made a couple mistakes throughout the course of that Packer game that blew it for San Francisco. In the game against Seattle, the Seahawks just had the better playmaker at quarterback. And I love Trey Lance. I think he's going to be a really good player in this league going forward. But there's a reason why Jimmy Garoppolo was the starting quarterback in week one of this season. Maybe Kyle Shanahan just doesn't believe in Trey Lance to play right away. And in regards to the Rams, like, look, I still think they're one of the best teams in the NFC. I still think Matthew Stafford could get this team to the promised land and make the Rams a winner. But at the same time, he has some Brett Farvian like attributes to his game. When the Rams are losing, he's going to be throwing the ball all over the field and is really prone to mistakes. I was impressed how in this game, from start to finish, the Arizona Cardinals were able to match the Rams' physically. And when we look at the Rams, we know just how talented they are on the defensive side of the ball with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. And I think sometimes just that intimidation factor of Aaron Donald will result in the Rams showing up and intimidating their opponent and taking advantage of their mistakes. They're a team that shows up expecting to win football games. And over the last couple of years, 
I don't think Arizona on the defensive side of the ball has been able to match up with teams like the Rams on defense and teams like the San Francisco 49ers and that defense that was really good enough to carry them to a Super Bowl. Um, the Cardinals, I don't think, have been able to match other teams from a physical perspective until Sunday where they just showed up and from start to finish in that game just punched the Rams in the mouth. And when you have a quarterback like Kyler Murray that could make all of the plays, he is so dynamic. The Cardinals are definitely a threat. And I think in both conferences right now, we're really seeing they're pretty wide open because the two best teams in the NFC right now might just be Arizona and Dallas, two teams that going into the season, it was total totally reasonable to have some expectations that could be high, but at the same time, they had to have a limit based on the clear weaknesses that these teams showed last year. Arizona and Dallas are kind of similar in a way for me because on paper, they look really good. Their offenses should be explosive, but do we trust their head coaches? Do we trust their defenses? And do we just trust them to come ready to play game in and game out? And in what could have been the biggest game of Cliff Kingsbury's career up to this point, in my opinion, I understand he had a winner go home game last year, week 17. He could have knocked the Rams out of the playoffs, but Kyler Murray got hurt in that game. It was clear Arizona, once that happened, didn't really have a chance. And one thing I will say, even though I'm not the biggest Cliff Kingsbury fan, he has had Arizona improving throughout each of his three seasons to start his NFL coaching career. He got rid of Josh Rosen after one year. He could have moved on from the number one pick and Kyler traded that and built around Josh Rosen, but he knew that Kyler was his guy and he's a good offensive mind. Cliff Kingsbury has never built a winner. He's never coached a team really with a great defense, but maybe that changes this season and the Arizona Cardinals, even though they play in a tough NFC West. And I do believe throughout the course of the season, that division is so good uh, and so competitive that some of those teams are going to be beating each other up. And I don't know if Arizona is going to be able to go undefeated and be a one seed. But at the same time, they are one of the best teams in the NFC right now. And they really outshine the Rams in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium. Home field. Crazy stuff for Arizona going on the road and beating the Los Angeles Rams. And Kyler Murray might just be the front runner right now. For NFL MVP. And I can't wait to see what the Cardinals and the Rams do next time around. Cliff Kingsbury really out coaching and out executing Sean McVay in a big game is crazy stuff. Look at the upcoming schedule for Arizona right now. They're sitting at 4 0. Their next four games home against San Francisco, at Cleveland, home Houston, home Green Bay. So they're going to have some big home games against San Francisco and Green Bay. Can they use that home field to their advantage and maybe ride it all the way to an NFC West title? We shall see. I don't necessarily know how good the Arizona Cardinals are in terms of their possible Super Bowl hopes and what are they going to be able to do in January because ultimately that's what matters. However, it's hard for me right now when I look at them to not say this is one of the best teams in the NFC. They are an absolutely a Super Bowl contender and even though I'm not the biggest fan of Cliff Kingsbury, this offense and the way this team has shown up to each and every game so far from a physical perspective might just make them a threat and one of the best teams in the NFL. Props to the Arizona Cardinals just going on the road and obliterating a division rival in the LA Rams.
Moving on to the next segment of today's show, I wanted to talk about the Dallas Cowboys and their super impressive week four win on Sunday over the Carolina Panthers at home. They won 36 to 28, and now the Cowboys are sitting by themselves on the top of the NFC East standings with a record of three and one. And in a similar way to Arizona, I think Dallas should be considered as one of the big winners from week four in the NFL. I mentioned it briefly prior to the Monday night football game. Dallas played week three against Philadelphia. How important and how meaningful that game was for them due to the fact that Dallas should really win this NFC East in their sleep. I totally understand that they're a team, especially after what happened last year, that went into 2021 with many questions. Dak Prescott suffered a terrible, gruesome ankle injury last year, and the main concern for him in camp throughout the summer was his throwing shoulder. And really, throughout the first four games of this season, Dak Prescott has shown no ill effect of that shoulder, no ill effect from the ankle, and he is playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. There were plenty of people, including myself, that were a little skeptical of the Cowboys paying Dak Prescott that monster long-term contract of over uh, you know, $40 million, making him one of the highest-paid quarterbacks in the NFL. But if he keeps playing like this then that contract is absolutely worth it. Even a guy like Zeke Elliott. A lot of times, people don't like the fact that Dallas has just paid big money to all of the players that they drafted and they developed besides Byron Jones. That was really the one big guy they let go. But Dak paid, or Jerry Jones paid Dak Prescott. Jerry Jones paid Ezekiel Elliott. I know they didn't draft Amari Cooper, but he made a big impact early on in uh, his one season with Dallas, and the Cowboys decided to pay Amari Cooper. Demarcus Lawrence, you know, Dallas has decided to pay all their guys, and historically in the past, that hasn't been something that's worked out. Also, if you've listened to this podcast, you will know, historically, I'm not the biggest Mike McCarthy guy. I don't think he's a good head coach in the NFL, and I know he did win a Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers, but... As time went on, it was clear that Aaron Rodgers, I believe, was really the main reason why Green Bay was so successful. He was the uh, heart of the team. He was front and center at all causes. And there were many times throughout that McCarthy-Aaron Rodgers playoff run, uh, really that whole five, six-year stretch, McCarthy's teams just did not show up ready to play in big games. They got physically abused by the Falcons in the NFC Championship game. They lost uh, to the Seattle Seahawks in that NFC Championship game, and there were just many times where I just thought the Packers were not the more physically imposing team, and they didn't come ready to play, and they just got dominated on the line of scrimmage from start to finish. Even last year, it happened. The Cowboys had plenty of games, even without Dak Prescott. Like, Andy Dalton was a solid backup. He wasn't a quarterback that when he got put in, you thought, especially in a bad NFC East, you it wasn't impossible for Andy Dalton to win football games, especially with Zeke and Amari and, and C.D. Lamb around him, and Dallas with Mike McCarthy couldn't win. But this year, there have been a couple big changes. Number one, part of the reason why I was so 
disappointed and so down on Mike McCarthy last year and going into this year was the hire of Mike Nolan. Mike Nolan was the coach that back in the day when he was with the San Francisco 49ers, I believe it was 2005, 2004, around there, he gave Mike McCarthy his first ever job in coaching on that defensive staff. And Mike McCarthy, as a thank you, decided to bring in Mike Nolan. Also, Mike McCarthy lied to Jerry Jones in his interview, saying that during the 2019 season, which was the year he took off from coaching, he watched every single play of that season and thought about everything now from an analytical perspective. And He admitted later on in his press conference that he only said that to Jerry Jones just so he could get the job. And going into this year, really going into that Monday night game, I looked at Dallas and I said, if you're Jerry Jones, you know the success that you have had throughout your career as Cowboys owner. The problem is none of it has really came recently. Jerry Jones, you could tell every time you watch him speak, is as hungry as ever for a Super Bowl championship. He wants the Cowboys to do well. And I think that is another part of the reason why he was so committed to paying Ezekiel Elliott, to paying Dak Prescott, keeping this core together. And I said, if the Cowboys couldn't win the NFC East this year with this roster and Kellen Moore leading the way as an offensive coordinator, then what is the point of Mike McCarthy being there? He is one of the rare head coaches in the NFL that doesn't call offensive plays. He doesn't call defensive plays. So he's kind of just a CEO-type figure. But every time I see the Cowboys in a position to make a big decision, whether it was that fourth down against the Chargers when Zerline kicked the game-winning 56-yard field goal. The Cowboys' special teams was lucky to get that kick off. It was clear that they really didn't have any idea what they were doing in that situation. The game against Tampa Bay, he kicks the long field goal with Zerline from like 64 after he'd missed a couple extra points early on. That misses. And then also in week three against Philadelphia, he didn't use a timeout at the end of the first half, which cost Dallas an extra possession. But if you're a Cowboy fan, here's the crazy thing. Dallas is playing so well that all those mistakes I just mentioned don't even matter. They really don't. As of yet, it hasn't cost them yet. And they lost the week one game to Tampa Bay. That was a game they easily could have won. They did a good job on defense forcing the Patriots into turnovers. You just gave Tom Brady a little bit too much time in 37 seconds. And he's the GOAT losing on the road opening night to Tampa Bay. That's not a terrible loss for Dallas. And trust me, I was skeptical on the Cowboys going into the season. But even I can't deny how good their defense looks. Trevon Diggs is literally playing like he is the next Jalen Ramsey. And the fact that he was a second-round pick that basically every team in the NFL could have had the young corner out of Alabama, and he is playing this well, four interceptions in his first four games, looking like he could possibly win Defensive Player of the Year. He is an absolute baller and a cornerstone-type player that any franchise in the NFL would be lucky to have. How about Micah Parsons, a guy who, even though we all knew he was very good, very talented, and he had some hype coming into this draft, let's not pretend like he didn't have any question marks going into this season as well. The Cowboys drafted him to really be an inside middle linebacker type. And then early on, Demarcus Lawrence gets hurt. They move Parsons uh, out as a natural pass rusher, and he's balling out. He played really well 
on Sunday, and he didn't even play football in 2020. Him and Jamar Chase were the two main guys that you could throw Panay Sewell into that conversation as well that were drafted very high but didn't play football during the 2020 season due to COVID, but that looks like a money pick for the Cowboys. And the way this offense is playing combined with the physical impressiveness of this defense the Cowboys might just be a team that is a big threat in this NFC, and they are playing great football right now. And when you look at the Dallas Cowboys, they're a team that when I compare them to some of the squads in the NFC East, right, we saw them on the same field against the Philadelphia Eagles, and I was impressed with just how quickly Dallas got in command of that game. There was never really a second, really, Philadelphia scored that touchdown on the sack in the end zone, which tied the game. But Dallas' defense shut Philadelphia down, and the Eagles, they're not the perfect team, I get it, but their offense has really been able to move the ball in every game they've played so far besides that one. Uh, they're better than Philadelphia. They're better than the Giants. That's a huge game on Sunday if you're the Cowboys uh, at home against the Giants. I understand the Giants are coming off a big win in overtime against New Orleans, but you're the better team. If you want to win this NFC East, don't give the Giants any hope going into your building and beating you. And then Washington... Props for beating the Atlanta Falcons. Taylor Heineke is a legend. He never quits. He never dies. He will pull plays just out of magic air sometimes. He's got some Ryan Fitzpatrick in him. But Washington's defense looked really overrated throughout the first four games of this season. And I picked Washington to win the division because of how good I thought that defense could be. And they're playing below average football right now. And if you're a fan of the Washington football team, that is a problem, in my opinion. You're not going to win that division unless your defense is playing better. And this is the Cowboys division to win right now. Their next couple games, home against the Giants, at New England, at the Vikings, home Denver. That's not an easy stretch, but if you could go at least 3-1, and one, maybe 2-2 two and two wouldn't kill you. But if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, you have to be feeling pretty optimistic, especially, let's face it, going into this game, it's not like they did this to some scrub team. The Carolina Panthers are a team that I went on this show a couple weeks ago and called them the sleeper team in the NFC. And I totally understand. Christian McCaffrey, the Panthers star running back, was out. And when he's out of the lineup, he's a huge threat, and you could zone in on guys like DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, and it's funny because DJ actually had a huge game. He was really the one bright spot here for Carolina, but he wasn't enough to do it by himself. Dallas's defense frustrated Darnold into turnovers. As I mentioned earlier, that pick by Trevon Diggs was one of the more impressive plays. You could tell while watching him work in the secondary. He's a former wide receiver. He just has great natural ball skills, and he has four interceptions throughout his first four games, which is just absolutely bonkers. And the Panthers are looking like, or the Cowboys are looking like a team that could be uh, one to watch going forward as one of the biggest threats in the NFL. And I get it. They're the Cowboys. Historically, they're a team that every time you give them any type of expectations, they usually let you down, especially recently in the last 20 years. But Dallas's defense combined with this offense who, look, when you look at their offense, you all knew it was going to be good, but the defense was just so bad last year. And I'll give credit to Dan Quinn. I was very skeptical of this hire going in. Dallas's defense was so bad last year.
year, and they decided to bring in the guy from Atlanta who blew, who blew the 28-3 lead. And once Kyle Shanahan left, that Falcons team and that Falcons core, especially on the defensive side of the ball, really started to decline. He looks like a pretty good defensive coordinator. That looks like a good hire. Kind of reminds me of what Gus Bradley has done for the Raiders so far. He's really improved that defense since they brought him in. And in a similar way to Arizona, if Dallas could keep this up physically on both sides of the ball, the Cowboys are a team that I think could be a contender to do serious damage in the NFC. And this Cowboy team is reminding me of that 2016 team, Dak's rookie year, that was the number one seed in the NFC. I'm not saying this Cowboy team is going to do that, but they look really impressive. As long as Mike McCarthy doesn't screw it up, Dallas is a legit threat going forward. They should win the NFC East. And Kellen Moore, an unbelievable play caller. If Dallas was smart, I think they should make him the head coach of the squad sooner rather than later, because I know for a fact if they don't, another team for sure will pick him up sooner rather than later. Moving on to the last and final segment of today's show, we wanted to get into the very impressive victory on Monday Night Football by the Los Angeles Chargers at SoFi Stadium in Week 4 to close the games out. The Chargers win by a final score of 28-24, to or excuse me, 28-14. to This was really a game the Chargers had complete control in from the start of the first half to about midway through the third quarter. Then you thought the Raiders could possibly make a run. A plot twist and part of the uh, craziness of this game was even though it was a Chargers home game, it did feel like a Raiders home game based on the overall amount of noise that their fan base was providing every time the Chargers had the ball. The Chargers legit had to come out in the silent count at home to start a game. And really, that's where I want to dig into the Chargers from that perspective to start this segment off, right? Is over the past couple of years and this team, the Chargers have always had talent, right? They've always had guys like Keenan Allen and Joey Bosa, Derwin James. They always have been a team that looks really good on paper. But over the past couple of years, not only have they failed to come through and win the big game, but just so often they lose games that you just turn around after they lose and you say, what in the world just happened between fumbling at the goal line and missing game-winning field goals? The Chargers just feel... Like, over the past five years, they've been one of the more unlucky teams in the NFL. Nothing ever seems to go their way. They can never catch a break. And last year, the Chargers decide to draft Justin Herbert. And it's crazy because Justin Herbert, even though he was always this big, strong-armed quarterback, there were plenty of people that were worried about him in college as a possible future NFL pro player. But at the same time, you look at it a little further and a little deeper, and you realize that his junior and senior year, Justin Herbert didn't really play with a skill position player that is even close to making the NFL. His offensive coordinator, Marco Arroyo, when you compare everything that he was doing at Oregon compared to what he's doing in the NFL now, it seems pretty clear to me that Oregon didn't really do a good enough job taking advantage of just how great of a skill set Justin Herbert had. And before that Rose Bowl he played in against Wisconsin, which was really the first time I remember watching this kid and saying like, wow, he could be a legit stud. Throughout his college career, he did have a lot of trouble playing in the big games and showing up for the big games. 
However, you put him in a system with talent. Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. We know the weapons that this Los Angeles Charger team has. Combined with the fact that Herbert, in many instances, is a late bloomer. He is a kid that grew up in Eugene. He always wanted to be the starting quarterback for the Oregon Ducks. That was a dream of him for his whole life. And he finally gets there, succeeds, and all of a sudden, he is looking like he could be a top prospect in the NFL draft. It all happened really quickly for a guy that wasn't really offered that many D1 starting jobs coming out of uh, the high school ranks. And Oregon obviously noticed him from Eugene and the rest is history. But Justin Herbert is a smart kid. He was a four-year starter at Oregon. He had a 4.2 GPA as a biology major. A lot of impressive things that you can't really say about many other NFL quarterbacks. And I think when you combine just how well-rounded of a player he is, right, between those, all of those attributes that I've just mentioned that makes Justin Herbert great, you combine that with an elite group of skill position players, an elite defense, and a head coach in Brandon Staley who I totally understand. He's only coached four games, and his future as an NFL head coach is a little unknown at the moment. He still has a lot to prove, but five years ago, which I know sounds like a long time ago, but in football terms, it's really not that long ago, he was a coach of a D3 team. He was coaching among the D3 ranks. And then he moved his way up within the NFL so quickly, working with guys like Vic Fangio and Sean McVay. And now, all of a sudden, he's the head coach of this Los Angeles Charger team that I believe has one of the more talented rosters in the NFL. And when you have talent like this, one thing that you have to be in order to take advantage and get the most out of that talent is aggressive. If you have guys like Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, you know, a good offensive line, the kid Slater you drafted looks like he could be a real good player, Bosa, James, we know the talent that this Charger team has, and he's been aggressive, has Brandon Staley, because he knows that he's willing to win or lose games based on what happens when you put the ball in a guy like Justin Herbert's hands. That's how special of a talent he is. And there have been many times throughout this season already, like in week one against Washington, Herbert was just making and converting third down after third down after third down. And it was clear in that moment that he just was not going to let the Los Angeles Chargers lose that football game. Even last night, the Raiders, their offense does nothing the whole first half. Even though the stadium is all Raider fans, they don't really have that much to cheer about. And then all of a sudden... To start off the second half, the Raiders actually go on a nice little 14-0 run. Carr is hitting Hunter Renfro for a touchdown. Carr is hitting Darren Waller for a touchdown. The Raiders are finally getting a little bit of of a pass rush. And then when it's 21-14, Justin Herbert gets the ball back, and there was never a doubt. He just drives right down the field. The Chargers score a touchdown to make it 28-14, and they never looked back from there. The rest is history. The Chargers' defense was also able to force Derek Carr into throwing an, an interception, which really wrapped up the game. And I've been impressed with the Chargers' fortitude. Keep in mind, the Chargers, I feel bad for them in the sense also that they had a true fan base in San Diego. That is the true home of the Los Angeles Chargers. But for financial reasons, they decided to move, get this new stadium in LA, 
And let's face it, they don't really have fans. The fact that on the first drive of the game last night, they had to come out and use their hard count because their home stadium was filled with Raider fans, that's got to be pretty demoralizing for not only an NFL team, but a good young team that should have a lot to be excited about. We just spoke about Justin Herbert and how he is probably one of the two or three best young quarterbacks in the NFL. His future is so bright, and it's clear that he's a late bloomer. He's only be only going to be getting better, especially when he's familiar with Brandon Staley's system. And this is what happens. You have a, a, a fan base that is pretty much non-existent in LA, and you have to go out there and use the hard count, silent count, uh, your first drive in your home stadium. Like, that's embarrassing. Like, that's terrible. And still, the Chargers were able to bounce back from the stadium, their own stadium, just being a pro Raider crowd, and they were really able to control the game from start to finish. I know the Raiders had that little drive there. But the Chargers were winning basically this whole game. Justin Herbert on his first drive of the game was absolutely phenomenal. Just hitting third down after third down after third down. And for the Chargers, a team that once again, over the past five years, they've just had from brutal luck. From being moved from San Diego, a place where a lot of their true fans were. And let's be honest, unlike the Raiders, a team that is such a big brand, right? The Raiders have moved to Oakland, to Los Angeles, now to Las Vegas, and their fans are following base. That first Monday night game against the Ravens, first game with fans at uh, the, 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 the death hole at Allegiant Stadium, that was a pretty great atmosphere. That was filled with Raider fans, and you could tell that in Vegas, they care about their football team. That's how much the Raiders mean to them. While in LA, it's the total opposite. There's so many things to do between the Lakers and the Uh, You know, you have the Clippers, you have the Dodgers, you have USC, you have UCLA, you have the Rams in this brand new SoFi Stadium. There's so many things, not even sports. I just mentioned the sports things like let's get into the Hollywood aspect of California and everyone loves to be in L.A. It is the place to be right now. Everyone you talk to says L.A. is the place to be. That's where I want to live going forward. And now the Chargers get lucky because they have a quarterback who might just be so good where they're going to be young kids growing up in LA who go to Charger games because no one else wants to go and tickets are so cheap and their dad takes them to the game and those kids are going to watch Justin Herbert play and they're going to be like, wow, that's who I want to be when I grow up and I'm going to become a Charger fan because this kid is so good and he's so fun to watch. And Brandon Staley, I mean, look, if you would have asked Sean McVay, before the beginning of the 2020 season, that the linebacker coach you just hired from Vic Fangio's staff on the Chicago Bears was going to be your defensive coordinator. And he's a guy that really no one else knows about, but Sean McVay took a chance on him. And then a year later, you lose him. I don't think Sean McVay expected that because Brandon Staley was going to do so well that he would automatically be on any other NFL team's head coaching Radar. The Chargers wanted to make a move. They got him. And so far, I understand it's only been four games, but Brandon Staley looks like he could be a legit NFL head coach. He already has total trust and total faith in Justin Herbert that on fourth and threes in a big game on Monday Night Football against the only undefeated team left in the AFC 
Brandon Staley was like, I trust Justin Herbert so much that I'm going to be willing to give him the ball to make a play in such a big spot in the game as a second-year player because he's that special. And I think the Chargers are a team from top to bottom. They are so well-rounded. I can't wait next week. Browns Chargers in L.A. The Browns have a low-key, very popular fan base all across the country. And I can guarantee you there are going to be a lot of Browns fans in the building at SoFi Stadium next week against the Chargers. But those two teams are very similar in the sense that from top to bottom, they're both very talented. I think I kind of like the Chargers more, though, just because of their quarterback. His ceiling is through the roof. And the scary part is he's so young, he's only getting better. And if you're a Dolphin fan, I hate to bring this up, but taking Tua over him, that could be a decision that your team really regrets for a long time going forward. Even Washington taking Chase Young over Justin Herbert. And Chase Young is a stud. He was my prediction to win Defensive Player of the Year. Washington would love to have that pick back and take Justin Herbert. Same thing with the Lions taking Jeff Okuda. How about the Giants taking Andrew Thomas Dolphins taking Tua. There have been plenty of teams that passed up on Justin Herbert. And for the first time in a long time, the Chargers, a team where everything has really gone the opposite way they have wanted over the last couple of years. They finally find a way to get lucky and get a quarterback in the 2020 draft that looks like he could be the next young star in the NFL going forward. He's already went into Arrowhead in one, beats the Raiders on Monday Night Football. The future is so bright for the Chargers and Justin Herbert. He's only getting better. I think there's a good chance we see Kansas City and the Chargers built around these two quarterbacks as one of the best rivalries in the NFL over the next five years going forward. I can't wait to see what Justin Herbert could do. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Zach Kroll Sports Podcast. Episodes will drop multiple times a week as we go over all the most interesting storylines in all of sports. Look forward to talking some football, some college basketball, everything in between. And there is just nothing better than talking sports with you guys on this show. Thanks for listening once again. If you want to get in contact with me, the Instagram, Z-A-C underscore K-R-U-L-L. Twitter at Z-K-R-U-L-L-3. YouTube, Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y-K-R-U-L-L. This was the Zach Kroll Sports Podcast. Everyone have a good one.